0: Three elements of faith. The virtue of faith, here are the three elements that constitute it. Knowledge, assent, and confidence. Knowledge is who are we having faith in or faith of. Assent is loyalty to or going toward what it is that we have faith in. And confidence is that confidence or courage of what it is that we believe When Peter tries to walk on the water, Peter has knowledge of Jesus' supernatural power. He has knowledge because Jesus is walking on the water. More than that, Jesus had, the day before, had fed the 5,000 miraculously. The fish and the bread had just miraculously kept multiplying until they fed the multitudes who were there. And then after that whole incident, the scriptures say, Jesus told the apostles, get in the boat, go to the other side of the lake, and then Jesus went up this mountain to pray. He was spending the night in prayer by himself on top of that mountain. So Peter saw that, oh wow, this guy is able to feed thousands of people. Miraculously, this guy is able to walk on water. So Jesus is, or Peter doesn't necessarily know who Jesus is, but he does know that he possesses supernatural power. There's knowledge. Peter assents to Jesus as person by getting out of the boat and trying to walk on the water. So he's trying to come to the one who has knowledge yet. He's assenting to the one. But Peter loses his confidence, this is the third piece, and begins to seek. This is after Jesus says, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. So this last part might seem to be the most difficult of the three aspects of our faith is confidence or courage in Jesus. Jesus says after Peter sings, Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt Peter? All right. When Jesus gets into the boat, So now Jesus grabs Peter, lifts him up out of the water, drops him back in the boat, throws his leg over, hops in the boat, and now the wind dies down, the sea dies down. You can imagine the scene, everyone just staring at Jesus like, Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And then what does it say? They said, they did him homage by saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So we're imagining the scene in the boat. It's not like they're just sitting there and go, Yo, you're like truly the son of God. They didn't do that. It'd be, you know, this boat with you know how the bottom of boats are shaped like this, it's a wood boat. I could just see them all just kinda of getting on their knees and going, Oh, truly you're the son of God, you're the son of God. You're amazing. They're giving them this homage. So the disciples themselves having witnessed the feeding of the 5,000, seen Jesus walk on water, seen Jesus grab Peter, drop him into the boat, step into the boat after walking on water in a storm at night. They all have knowledge, and now they're assenting to him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. And now they're filled with confidence. They're filled with confidence in his presence. Because now, now they know that that as long as Jesus is with them, nothing can harm them. They would be filled with this confidence and what comes with confidence? And the answer is peace. They have great peace. That wherever Jesus is and I'm with them, then I'm all right. He's going to protect me from drowning or from wolves or from bad actors, whoever. This is amazing. This is absolutely amazing. But how do we possess this knowledge, assent and confidence If I say I have faith, well then, how come I can't do anything with it? And the answer is, it's not very strong. Well, how do I strengthen it? Elijah. In our first reading, Elijah flees into the wilderness. And the wilderness in Israel means the desert. When we hear of wilderness, I think we think of the mountains and dense green trees and that kind of thing. But the wilderness over there is the desert. He flees into the desert. He goes to the mountain of God, Horeb, finds a cave, and there he's going to die. He's going to die. Why does he think he's going to die? Because Queen Jezebel has just sent the army to find him and kill him. Why did she do that? Because he just killed all of the prophets of the king and queen who are worshiping this false god Baal. Remember, they built the two altars. Elijah built one. The false prophets of the king built one. And then they poured water all over Elijah's and theirs, and they they danced around, cutting themselves, trying to get their altar and their wood to step catch on fire. Doesn't. Elijah's does after it's been soaked in water, and then Elijah proceeds with the sword to kill all these false prophets. Jezebel wants him killed, and so she orders the army to find him and kill him. And this is the scene in which Elijah has run. He's run into the wilderness, gone to work, found the cave, and he's waiting to die. He says, okay, God, you can kill me, much like Job when Job goes finally off, pouting to Nineveh to tell him that they have to repent or God will kill him, sort of thing. This idea of, fine, I'll die for you. So here he is, and he's waiting, you know, like, well, how is this going to happen? What's the next step? And then God does these things. God creates a huge wind, and God's voice isn't in the wind. He's got an earthquake. God's voice is not in the earthquake. God has a fire. God's voice is not in the fire. It's when all is gone, it's still quiet. He's all alone. And then he hears this teeny whisper of a voice. And then it says that Elijah becomes frightened. The thing is, if we really want to find our Lord, if we really want to grow our faith, then we have to make time in silence and stillness to be with him in prayer. And that prayer is this one that we keep, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. It's sort of, yeah, maybe I'll get to that. It's something that most people don't make time for. We just go, well, you know, maybe today or some other day during the week, I'll get some time to, to do that. But almost daily, the vast majority of Catholic Christians make time for a screen, their smartphone or their TV set or their computer monitor screen. They make time for preparing meals and make time for all kinds of different things, but we don't make time for prayer. We don't set aside time for that. We don't make ourselves present to God. And then a crisis comes and now we make ourselves present to God. God fixed my my crisis, etc., And then it may or may not be fixed, usually not, certainly not according to our own timetable or our own way in which we want it fixed, etc. And God is allowing that because he needs us to grow up, he needs us to be more mature, he needs us to respect him more, to love him more. But what if we were men and women of prayer? What if every one of us did make time every day, deliberate, intentional time, Maybe it begins with a minute a day and then after we've got that nailed, we expand it to five minutes a day and then we've got that nailed and then we expand it to 15 and we got that nailed and now we can do 30 minutes a day. I mean, on our smartphones, we're putting in a few hours a day of total distraction, looking at that thing and, and getting off it. And so now looking at it again, listening to it, what if we find 30 minutes a day to say 15 for prayer, 15 for spiritual reading? What would that do for our life? What would that do for... Our confidence. What would that do for our peace? What would that do to move mountains, as Jesus says? If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could tell this mountain to get up and move, and it would. But that telling is a prayer. What if we were men of prayer, men and women of prayer? Peter and the people in that boat would eventually become men and women of prayer. The, not that this is recorded in the scriptures, but we know that they eventually became prayer warriors, where they would spend a couple hours a day in prayer. Or as they're walking from one town to another, praying as they walked. Imagine riding in your car and keeping, ter, keeping the radio off and spending that time with the Lord in, in prayer and talking to Him. And listening to him, just being quiet, letting him communicate in silence. And just letting him do his work. I'll say two last things. One is that I've found that if I don't pray, I'm a mess. And it, and it happens really fast. Like, let's say today I don't pray, by tomorrow I'm a mess. There's like a 24-hour lag time before I'm a mess. And by that, I mean, how can I get up here and preach? What am I going to say? I, I've already gotten up here six other days this week. What more do I have to say? You know, what, I'm, gonna, I'm dressed as a priest. I walk around as a priest, too. Where do I get the strength to do that and to be different from everyone else and to be a, a religious role model in a world that despises religion or a moral role model in a world that says don't, don't make any judgments about what's right and wrong when I clearly do, because God does and we're supposed to. Where does that come from? Ultimately, it has to be prayer. Ultimately, it has to be prayer. And the other feature of this is that, okay, well, what if I blew that off and I just watched TV and I, I, I don't know, had hobbies like shopping or playing golf or whatever sort of thing. Well, then Satan would have me. And that's this last and final piece. If we think, well, okay, that's really nice, but prayer, it's enough for me to just go on Mass on Sunday. That's pretty much all I'm ever going to give God is Mass on Sunday. And then he can do with what he wants with me in the next life, and I'll accept that. Except that this life becomes really miserable because Satan is seeking to sift us. And he's actively working for our destruction. Does any one of us think that Queen Jezebel, when she orders her army to find Elijah and kill him, wasn't under the power of the enemy, of the Prince of Darkness? She certainly was. Don't we find ourselves being sifted by the enemy? Jesus says to Peter, Peter, I prayed for you. I prayed hard for you. The enemy's trying to sift you. Are you aware, Peter? Peter, what are you doing? Get on your knees, Peter, and pray. The enemy is after you. Are we aware that he's after us? Are we aware that he's after our spouse and our children and our grandchildren? Are we aware that he's after everything that's true and good? Are we aware that he's trying to sabotage your plans right now? So even just from a very selfish perspective, maybe I'll pray just to keep the enemy away. Just to hold on to what I already have, or to maybe to achieve that thing that I really want that the enemy doesn't want, and he's going to do everything in his power to mess this up or have it go sideways or cause somebody to be hurt, and then the whole thing's not worth it. So the theme is just to pray. And it's hard. The Catechism of the Catholic Church entitles the chapter on prayer, quote, The Battle of Prayer. It's hard. That's why so few people do it all the time. It's really hard, but it's really necessary, and it's really fruitful. And the fruit of it is knowledge, assent to God. And that last one, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Confidence. And the peace that comes with the confidence of faith that's born of prayer.